0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Steve Hutto podcast, and I am, you guessed it, Steve Hutto. Thank you so much for stopping by. Got a great teaching for you in just a few minutes, but I wanted to let you know, my wife and I, we both founded Harvest Celebration Ministries several years ago to reach into the nations of India and into Central America. We work in Honduras. And uh, I've had the privilege of going to Guatemala, to Honduras, down to the Dominican Republic, several times to India. God has opened some incredible doors. We've met some incredible people over the years and established some wonderful works of the Lord that we're able to build on all the time. And I just wanted to share with you that uh, we are going back to Honduras uh, to do something special. This is the first time we've ever done that, December 9th. Through the 16th, we're going to Honduras to do a special Christmas outreach to some incredibly young children down there and to some people, their families, and to the people in the nation of Honduras. So keep us in your prayers. If you would like to know a little bit more about Harvard Celebration Ministries, what we do, our outreach coming up in December, then go to That's www.harvcel.com, and you can find out more there. Today I'm going to talk to you about the cost of following Jesus, the cost of following Jesus. Now, the question is, can a person understand the cost of following Jesus before they pray the sinner's prayer? That's a good question. Should a person understand the cost of following Jesus before or as they pray the sinner's prayer? should we as believers attempt to share the cost of following Jesus as we share Jesus with people? I want to share uh, what I think is an incredible example and illustration of the cost of following Jesus as Jesus dealt with the young man who was we call the rich young ruler. So I firmly believe that this incident here illustrates to you and me the cost of receiving Jesus and following Jesus. So let's go to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark 10, I'm going to begin with verse 17. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, "'Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?' And Jesus said to him, "'Why do you call me good?' No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these all these things from my youth up. Now, I can imagine that this rich young ruler was a good Jewish young man, perhaps from a good Jewish family, and it was their desire to strive to live by the law. You know, there they they were devout Jewish people, there still are today, that, that vowed to live by the law to the best of their abilities. It doesn't mean that they lived by it perfectly, but that was their desire and, and, and their calling, they felt, to live according to the law. So perhaps this was the scenario. He was a good young Jewish man, but it says here that he came up to Jesus and he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And I believe that what Jesus was saying is you're referring to me as a good teacher. But you're really standing before God, and you don't know it, so you're just referring to me again as that good teacher, and there's no one good except God alone. And it's as if Jesus was saying to him, I am God, and I'm not only able to tell you how to receive or inherit eternal life, but I'm also the the one who can literally give you that eternal life. So I believe that's why Jesus why Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good and that's God. Now, if you acknowledge me as God, then I can give you and show you how to receive this eternal life. And so, Jesus said, "You know the commandments." And he named off some key commandments. And he said to him, "Teacher, I have kept all these things since I was a very very young person." And as we continue in Mark 10:21, It says that looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and he said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Now, why did Jesus look upon him And feel a love for him. I believe that his illustration, his situation, if you will, this rich young ruler, illustrated something very important. It was the point at which all of mankind was at that time. I believe Jesus felt a love for this rich young ruler because he kept the law, and the law, according to the Apostle Paul, brings us to Jesus Christ. So I want you to see that this rich young ruler, hungering for eternal life, comes to Jesus and says he's kept the key commandments. Jesus feels a love for him because he is at the point to where he can take the next step. In Galatians 3.24, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So at this point in the rich young ruler's life, upon keeping the law, it brought him to Jesus, which is a picture of where all mankind was at that time. But you see, Jesus came to the earth because the law had brought mankind to the point of needing a Savior if we simply believe in Him and the work of the cross, which He was yet to do but would do. This man needed to take just one more step. Now, I want you to let that sink in. Jesus felt a love for this man. Of course, Jesus felt a love for all of mankind, He loved everybody. But I believe that he felt a love for this man because this man standing before all the disciples and some other people was a, a perfect example of where all of mankind was. The law given by Moses had brought us to Jesus. The law was designed to illustrate to us our need for a savior by bringing out our sins. The law was holy. It was the requirement to be righteous in God's eyes, which we could not live up to. Therefore, the law, as holy as it was, judged us guilty. And the fact that we had been judged guilty means that we needed a savior desperately, and Jesus was the very savior that we needed standing before this rich young ruler. So this man, again, needed to take one more step. Jesus said, hey there's only one thing you lack. Just one thing. There's only one thing you lack in order to follow after me. As a matter of fact, that was the only one thing that he lacked and that was to follow Jesus. He had kept the commandments, The commandments brought him to Jesus, just like all mankind. And now there's only one thing he lacked, Jesus says, and that is, you have to follow me. Man, that's good. You have to follow me. If you want to inherit eternal life, you have to follow Jesus. You have to follow him. You can't just pray a sinner's prayer and expect that you've settled your eternal destiny And everything is going to be fine if you don't follow Jesus. You can't do that. If you pray the sinner's prayer, you need to be told that you must follow Jesus in order to inherit eternal life. Does that make sense to you? I pray that it does. He said, there's only one thing you lack, follow me. And here's what you must do, Jesus said, to follow me. You must sell all you possess. Remember, He had many possessions. He owned a lot of property, a lot of things. He had accumulated a lot of things. He had won a lot of things in business deals. And and he had so much, really, that possessed him. So Jesus says, in order to follow me, which is the one thing you lack, in order to have eternal life, inherit that, you must sell all you possess. Everything. And he says and don't just put the money in a bank. In other words, don't sell everything, hit the road with me and use all the proceeds from all that you had to support yourself on the road. No, he's not saying that. People have been led to do that, but that's not what he's saying to the rich young ruler. What he's saying is, sell everything you have and don't put the money in a bank, but give the proceeds away to poor people. The result is, you will have treasure in heaven, treasure in heaven. Now, most people, when they hear scripture about laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven, or having treasure in heaven, most people immediately think, "Oh, yeah, yeah," but I don't get that till the till the, till the day I get to heaven. But that's not necessarily true, and I can tell you why by answering this question. What then is the treasure in heaven? The treasure in heaven that he's talking about is inheritance. It's your inheritance in Christ, in Jesus. Moths can't eat it up. Rust cannot destroy it. And thieves, Jesus said, can't break in and steal it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, the apostle Paul says this, Ephesians 1.11 says, "...so we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will." We've obtained an inheritance. Paul said we're joint heirs with Jesus if we're joint heirs with Jesus, it means that Jesus is an heir, that Jesus has an inheritance, and since we're joint heirs with Him, what He has, we have. When Jesus came to the earth, He came having an inheritance. Yes, I know that after He went to the the cross, He was exalted and given a name above all names. Of course, the name above all names, Jesus, and it's that name, through that name, the only name we can be saved by, But Jesus laid aside His privileges and came to the earth. He didn't give them up, so to speak, to where He would never have them again. Even while He was in the earth, He had access to the inheritance that was His. Even in the earth, when we give up and sell out to Jesus, then we also have His inheritance in our lives. Now listen to this scripture. This explains it as well. Mark 10, verses 28 through 30. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Remember, this is what he's trying to get the rich young ruler to do. And could it be that Jesus was thinking ahead to the fact that Judas would betray him and there would be a need at some point to replace Judas because Judas betrayed him? And so Jesus was trying to get this rich young ruler, perhaps to follow him, in order to become one of his disciples. But he said, if you follow me, you know, sell your stuff, give it away, you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And so Peter says, again in Mark 10, 28, he said, Behold, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. In other words, what about us? And Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So the treasure in heaven that Jesus was trying to get this rich young ruler uh, to, to partake in by giving up everything and giving it away to the poor, by selling out, in other words, would be effective immediately in his life. And when I pick up part two on this, we're going to continue talking about this and how these treasures in heaven is what God uses to provide any and everything we need to serve Him, to follow Him in this earth. And remember, no one should ever pray the sinner's prayer. No one should ever be led by someone else to pray the sinner's prayer without first making an attempt to understand the cost of following Jesus. Thanks again for checking out the Steve Hutto podcast and stopping by. You have a very blessed day. God bless you.